dog status, now I'm a big dog bitch. I pull up on the block in a big Corvette. Yeah, riding around the city with a stick all black. Yeah, try with a stoker, we ain't with all that. Yeah. Welcome to the Ross Project, the place where you will learn how to thrive and grow in every aspect of life, family, entrepreneurship, personal development, tech and marketing using real raw and 100% no bullshit proven tactics. My name is Ivan Tamokov. Of course, I'm your host. And today I am joined on the podcast with Sejal Thakar. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Excited to be here. Thank you so much for creating space for me on your show. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, one of the things that I always start off the podcast with is I like to hear more about people's story. You know, how do they get into what they're doing, you know, today? And, and but before we get into that, I want to introduce you and give a little bit of a background to uh, viewers and listeners so uh, they know who you are. So dubbing herself Chief Civility Officer, Sejal is not your average employment law attorney. Her more than 15 years of experience advising clients, human resources personnel, and legal counsel uh, regarding sound standard employment practices uncovered a need and personal passion for bringing more proactive, relevant, and impactful workplace training programs to her clients and their teams. Her highly experiential customized workshops tailored to executives, managers, and individual contributors bring the courtroom to the training room in an interactive, engaging environment that flavors human stories over compliance checklists. So I like the part where it says highly experiential, customized workshops tailored to executive, executive managers and uh, individual contributors uh, bring the courtroom to the training room. That's, that's an interesting combo right there as I was reading that. So, but before we dive into this, you know, Sejo, let's start with, you know, tell us a little bit about your background, your story, where you come from, you know, what you've seen, where you've been, and did you just wake up one day and you're like, I'm going to be an attorney? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, actually being an attorney was something I knew when I was like, it started around eight or nine years old. My dad told my mom at the dinner table one day, he announced it. He was like, she's going to be a lawyer. Um, mm -hmm. I asked why all the time. I was, I think most kids are curious. But I think I was super annoyingly curious and I asked why about everything. So, um, so I always knew I was going to go to law school, but just I'll, I'll back up a little bit more because I think that's important to my story. Um, my parents are immigrants from India. They moved from India to United States in 1974. So interesting, a little fun fact about me, I was actually conceived in India and I was born in Chicago. So talk about like, being <laughs> okay. So yeah, so I grew up in Illinois, um, in a suburb of Chicago called Elmwood Park, predominantly Italian neighborhood, we were the only Indian family. So I dealt with a lot of discrimination, harassment, bullying, I was on the victim side of that kind of growing up. And so that really plays a lot into my story. It plays a lot into the TEDx talk I just recently did about, um, you know, being a victim of bias and kind of how that's impacted my journey. Um, and then, you know, law school, like I said, was something that I was always going to do. 
But then mm-hmm. I think most people hearing that part of my story would probably say, well, Sigil's going to be an attorney that's now going to represent the employees, right? Or the people that are victims of harassment. And I actually did the opposite. I started defending um, managers and supervisors in cases where they had been accused of harassment and discrimination. Okay. So that's kind of like what I call in my talk is the paradox of bias, because that's the part of my journey where I saw bias from a whole different perspective and really just helped me understand that, you know, bias is not one dimensional. It impacts all of us in different ways. Um, and then I've been an attorney since 2000 and through, well, 2003 in California. And um, as you read in the intro, I've been just working with clients all over the globe on different issues related to, you know, how do we, how do we create better workplaces? I mean, we spend yeah. way too much time to be miserable at work, right? So. Yeah. You know, so ironically enough, so you're in Chicago, you're not too far away from me, you're in St. Louis. So when you were talking about Chicago, which I admire, it's one of those cities that full of culture and, and experiences. I mean, you know, everything from the cuisine to to the sites, but um, you, you were you were talking about, you know, your, your background that I could totally relate to, you know, being Bulgarian, being bullied, you know, discrimination, all of that growing up, because I think, you know, especially when you're young and you're kind of seen as an outcast, right? I mean, growing up in an Indian family, you said in a primarily Italian uh, neighborhood, I can only imagine what that felt like, you know, and, uh, but it's interesting. So as you were talking about that is, you know, uh, I could totally relate to that because I think those are a lot of issues that even to this day are still being battled. You know, uh, I think bullying, one of the things um, uh, when I was younger, was like, you know, most people are like, no, it's just kids being kids. And it's like, no, bullying is a real thing. Mm-hmm. It's really a problem. So uh, I'm actually glad to see that has evolved over the last 20 years, you know, but uh, it was also very interesting that you said that, you know, you, you kind of went on the flip side uh, in terms of like not defending the, the those who've been victims but rather defending the managers and the executives who were being the, uh, accused, you know, of, of that, that kind of behavior. So, you know, you went through a law school and, and it's interesting you were talking about how creating better workplaces, which I'm a huge fan of, because I think culture is such a huge part of that. Uh, and just really creating a better environment uh, for, you know, for, for employees. And I think now at this well, I guess we could call it a post-COVID era or COVID era still. I think that's so essential now because because of remote work, right? And I think the way um, the workplace has really changed. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, so when you, when you started out, you know, your, your attorney journey, so you started practicing, you know, did you immediately know that you wanted to go into like, okay, I'm going to work with these people or how did that evolve? So initially, for the first couple of years after I got licensed, I was actually doing workers' compensation law. Mm-hmm. So there I was dealing with, I was on the administrative side of law. And I knew that that wasn't the right fit right there um, because I was immediately drawn to the cases where now there was some element of discrimination or harassment. So let's say somebody filed a workers' compensation claim and now their coworkers were harassing them or their employer was discriminating against them, I started feeling a little bit more comfortable in that area. And that's kind of what led me to being a civil employment law attorney. 
But mm-hmm. as soon as I started working on these cases, Ivan, I knew like I was, this is where I knew I could make a difference because it's a small enough environment. We're dealing with workplaces. I mean, I, I'd love to make a difference world, you know, in bigger issues at, you sure. know, if, if it's in my plans, but in the workplace was something that I could definitely do. And so I, since then, that's all I've done is represented leaders up until about eight years ago. When my son was born, at that point, I made a decision that I wanted to be at home with my son. Mm -hmm. And so doing litigation wasn't going to be an option for me anymore because I I couldn't work around the clock. And that just wasn't my priority, right? My priority shifted to my son. So I left working for a big law firm and I just went out at home and I worked from home for about three and a half years. Luckily, I had some really good connections in the legal industry that people were sending me work that I can work from home. Sure. But it's right around that time that I started actually doing a lot of teaching and training. So I started teaching at some universities, speaking and doing a lot more of the anti-harassment, discrimination, retaliation type of legal compliance training. I started doing a lot more of that. And that's where I really realized, you know what, I I have a passion for training, for facilitating, for educating. And so my career kind of took a shift at that point. And I started really kind of honing in on, on those skills. Yeah. Couple of things I, I I heard you say that that I absolutely love. You know, the first thing you said is, you know, when your son was born, that you kind of made that decision that, you know, you wanted to spend more time. So obviously that was sort of a, a shift, you know, in everything that you were doing, right? It's like really just rearranging your time because mm-hmm. let's face it, I got two kids and if it's not for them being at daycare, I wouldn't get shit done, honestly. So it's just like, but then when they come home, it's like, ah, switching to dad mode. And I mean, you, you can relate, right? It's a whole different world, right? But you still wanted to focus on your passion, which is interesting because I think you've always had that passion since a very young age. And that's actually very cool because I was talking to someone about this recently. I'm like, honestly, I don't remember what I wanted to be when I was a kid. <laughs> It's like I wanted to be a lot of different things. And I think the people that truly, you know, focus on, you know, I want to be an astronaut, I want to be a lawyer, I want to be a doctor, you know, or or uh, whatever. Right. It's like and really follow through on that. I mean, talk about dedication and commitment to that. And you don't see many people nowadays to really follow through uh, on that. But um, I want to shift kind of more towards like the workplace and talk about some of those things, because there's a lot to say about that right now with like the, the day and age of remote work and the changing company cultures. But let's talk a little bit about discrimination, because that's a really big one. What I want to hear, you know, from your experience, obviously, you've been in this space for over 15 years now. You know, what are some of the most common things that you've seen? You know, the companies, executives, you know, managers, you know, are, are battling with when it comes to discrimination. Yeah, so those were the cases I focused in on, was the harassment, discrimination, and retaliation. Those were the cases that I really specialized in. So that's what I saw a lot of. But I'll tell you something that was really um, an eye-opener for me is, you know, I was going in and I had to I had to deal with my own biases, right, in order to be a good attorney. Because like I said, now I was representing people who were accused of harassing other people. So I knew I had to work through my own <clears throat> biases so that I can be an effective litigator and represent mm-hmm. my clients, right, in their best interest. So, so I had to do the work myself. But when I got in there and I actually started doing the cases and working with these people, what immediately jumped out at me, and, and, and this is where I think it's important, and I talk about this in my TEDx talk too, but also the idea of 
God, most of these people were saying things, they were doing things, not because they were malicious. Yeah. You know, they were acting from a place of, because they lacked some kind of awareness. They were ignorant. They just didn't know any better. They weren't exposed to different situations or differences between people, diversity. And so they were, they were, it wasn't like these intentional harassment discrimination cases. Now, that being said, there are those cases that I've dealt with. Right. So I'm not saying that it doesn't happen. It happens all the time, unfortunately, way right. too much. So that definitely is an issue that I saw a lot of. But I started realizing that I really wanted to focus in where I can make a bigger difference. And that was really working on these cases where it was what it was was microaggression type of behavior that we were seeing more of. You know, it was people that had these unconscious biases. Now, without knowing it, they were either doing something or saying something that was a microaggression for some towards somebody in the workplace. And those are a little bit more nuanced cases. They need to be dealt with more of a restorative justice component versus let's get rid of this person and let's fire them from the company. And right. that's where I found that I was more effective and where I really wanted that. That was kind of my sweet spot. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting. You said you said something there that um, I think is really important. Uh, and principally, it's true. And you talked about how, you know, these people that were being accused of discrimination or sexual harassment even and. Uh, what's really interesting that you said is, is that in a lot of cases, you know, these were people that just didn't know any better. Like they they just thought that it, they was they was OK because they it boiled down to education and, and having the resources. And uh, that's so, so essential, because I think in this modern digital age that we're living, too many people make assumptions. And I think that something's OK, simply because they don't know any better. Right. But most people will never question Right. So we'll never question say, well, why did you do that? Right. So why did you act in such way? Why, why, why were you discriminating to someone to someone else? You know, and what's really interesting, I think we'd love to hear more thoughts about this from you is sometimes I think that stems from a household or an up, upbringing. It's everything. It's everything. I mean, if, if it's the entire system, I mean, if we've allowed right. it to get to the, I mean, if you think about it just from a very basic level, why do we have laws? Mm. Because we need to regulate behavior. Right. So if yeah. there's a law on it, that means it's really bad <laughs> that we, I mean, yeah. we need a law in place. But the thing is, there's a lot of stuff that's happened that's bad that may not be really bad, but we've allowed it to continue. Right. Yeah. Why is bullying somebody at work? OK. Why is right. that OK? Why do we ever get to a point where it happens every single place that has employees? It goes on in one way or another. I've seen it. Yeah. You know, so the question is. How do we allow that to happen? Because we've let it happen for so long. And so a lot of times, a couple of things happen. We, it's become normal for that organization. So they've allowed it to continue. And now people are saying, no, sorry, but we don't, we're not going to put up with that anymore. That needs to change. People are realizing, okay. no, I don't want to tolerate incivility at work, right? That's one of the reasons why I call myself the chief civility officer is because yeah. People are done tolerating BS at work. They, they don't want to put up with it. We want to be treated with dignity and respect. We want to be treated like human beings, you know? And so, so yeah. that those days are gone. Um, but then the other thing happens too is because it's become normal that those yeah. of us that might even be uncomfortable with what's going on at work won't say anything about it because the environment yeah. isn't safe. So we don't feel safe speaking up. And so yeah. we need to do the exact opposite 
We need to focus in on how do we create better cultures where there is that safety, that psychological safety to be able to say, hey, you know what, knock that off. That's not in line with our company culture. And if you don't like it, you could just go. But, you know, you have a choice to make when you're in at work. So we can control behaviors. And so that's really what I'm, you can see I'm passionate about this. My, my, I get to a whole different Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I love that. I absolutely love that. Actually, in fact, as you were talking, I was thinking about the healthcare industry, uh, how they're notorious about, well, notorious about, let's see, many things, poor company culture, uh, their bylaws are totally fucked up. If you ask me, they're outdated, you know, and I think when you were talking about how you know, like bullying, discrimination, retaliation, things of that nature, I, I think often employees speak up, you know, when they feel uncomfortable, they know. And upper management is like, nah, like, that's not really an issue, or to push it off to HR. And I think the healthcare industry specifically is terrible about that, because they still have an HR department. And a lot of the shit that gets put pushed to HR, let's face it, it doesn't get addressed. Yeah, 99% of the time. And then they wonder, why do we have such turnover, especially on the lowest levels? It's because you have terrible retention, like people don't want to work mm -hmm. in a toxic work environment. And I think the healthcare space, uh, I was actually uh, interviewing someone else recently, and we talked how, you know, they're failing to evolve as an industry. And they failed for like decades, I think now, like, for example, is like the now the norm is, you know, when you go to the doctor, right, and get like re regular checkup, you can do it via Zoom right? Mm -hmm. you, can, you can do it virtually, right? But they don't want you to do that because they want to build the insurance company $500 or whatever ridiculous amount. And I'm yeah. sitting here thinking, I'm like, wait, isn't healthcare supposed to be to help people yeah, and actually yeah. create a better convenience and access as opposed to inconvenience? And so like when you're talking about how passionate you are, I think it aligns a lot with, I look at everything from an ethical standpoint, I'm a big, I'm big on ethics. And so I'd love to hear more thoughts around, you know, when you've ran across like, you know, discrimination cases or sexual harassment or stuff like that, what are some of the most common things like that? Or how do you, how did you rather address those or what insight did you infuse to help resolve those situations? Well, so as an attorney, I was, rep I was representing the company. Mm -hmm. Right. So when I was working on that side, it was more related to let's take a look at your company policies. Let's see what the results of the investigation report are. Let's figure out what the proper way to handle the situation is. What's the best way to prevent this from happening in the future? So representing the company, I was more focused in on their best interest and helping them protect themselves so that they don't have to deal with liability and uh, more lawsuits. Right. So right. that was different. But now, I mean, since I started my company three years ago, um, Train Extra, I now work with companies both to address it from both the employer's side, but also from the employee side. So I'm bringing both perspectives to the table to say, no, 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 we're not going to have a policy here that just says we're going to only um, do something about it if it's discrimination by law, meaning You've been, you've been treated differently because you belong to a certain protected characteristic as defined in our state law, right? Or our federal yeah. law. So if you're your race, your gender, your religion, your disability, there's some, some categories that are outlined in our law. So that's what most companies' policies say, that if you're being treated differently because you belong to X, Y, and Z, then bring it to us and we want to hear about it. Or if you're being harassed because, you're, because of your race or your religion, then yeah. bring it. And I'm out there saying that's not good enough. 
<laughs> we need to protect all of your employees. So let's, yeah. let's, let's work on your policies and let's redraft them to say, we want dignity and respect for everybody. And yeah. so if you're being treated differently or harassed for any reason, we, we want to protect you. That's really the, where we want to get to. So from the policy perspective, then there's the whole training component. And that's what I do a majority of right now when I'm mm -hmm. working with organizations is training. So I've created my own program called Civility in the Workplace, which really is about, you know, look, we're all different from each other. Right. I've gone through different things. You've gone through different things. The way we view the world is different. And so when you throw a bunch of different people in the room together, I don't care how great they are, right? There are going to be some differences in how we get to decision-making, how we reach a consensus. There might be misunderstandings. It might take longer to get everybody on the same page. We might need help in communicating because in my culture, it means one thing in your, I mean, so there's a lot that yeah. goes along with just when you put different people together. So let's give employees training, proper training, check the box training, doesn't work. You're just throwing your money away, right? right? You need to have virtual, live, or in-person training on some of these topics. Not all of them, but some of them, because we need to have conversations like this to really help people deal with some of those issues and give them the skills so they understand what to do when they find themselves in those situations. So again, back to training is one piece of it. Then the other piece is investigations, right? So companies oftentimes do investigations once there's a lawsuit or a complaint filed. Yeah, I've seen this happen over and over again. So I feel safe saying this out loud is that a lot of times companies do these investigations and they'll address the situation that brought that complaint up, but then they won't take it a step further to see, is there a bigger problem within the organization than just this one complaint? Because oftentimes it's systemic, right? If it's happening to yeah. one person, a lot of the times it's happening to other people as well, but they don't take that extra step to be proactive. It's all this, like, how do we defend ourselves or how do we, you know, it's not being proactive. And so those are just some of the things that, that are important to think about. Yeah. You know, a couple of things you mentioned there too, is, and I actually would love to hear some additional thoughts uh, from you, but uh, you, you, you said towards the end how I think they, they just try to address the problem rather than look at it more like a company level standpoint, because uh, let's face it, it's probably a more widespread issue. And if there's one thing that I've learned as an entrepreneur is just that adaptability to the modern workplace is a bitch because you have to constantly evolve. And then you were talking about multicultural also. That's a big part. I mean, you said great. It doesn't matter how great these people are. But yeah. in some cases, they're probably not that great, too. Also, you got to take that into account as well. But then you get a bunch of people from different backgrounds and ethnicities, and you're not truly hearing them out and willing to evolve and change. It's like that's how you become stagnant. You know, it's like, you know, what, everything that's happening with, you know, the minimum wage, for instance, right across like the restaurant industry, retail industry specifically. And, and there's both sides of the fence. You know, people people see value in it and people don't see value in it. Um, one thing I, I, I wanted to know more of when you said is helping these companies, the way you help these companies through your training and your workshops, you know, evolve in essence and and because let's face it, the perspective and the value is worth it. But a lot of companies don't don't probably recognize that from the beginning, right? It just probably takes some time for them to adapt. So have you seen a lot of that when you work with these companies? Like 
the opposition basically that you're facing because they're unwilling to pivot in essence. Oh yeah, of course I've dealt with that. Yeah. I mean, and, and, but I think it's getting better. I'll yeah. say it's getting better. I think people are realizing that you have to put your people first. There's no if, ands or buts about it. Um, yeah. And especially after last year, like I said, the tolerance level for incivility has gone down. So the problem is also to get good talent in the door and then make sure they stay there. That's the challenge, right? You might be able to get the person in the right. door, but that's why we're hearing all the time now, right? I mean, I feel like every time I open up my LinkedIn, there's some announcement about somebody walking out the door because they, <laughs> you know, senior level people just dropping like flies because they're like, yep. no, we're not putting up with this anymore. So we're redefining culture altogether about what what it looks like. And so the thing I'll say, though, is, you know, it's going to take time. Right. It's not going to happen overnight. But the, you, you start small. You meet people where they are. And I think the quickest approach, it costs more money on the front end. Right. But I think we have to get yeah. over that. And we have to realize that we really don't have anything to compare it to because what we've been doing has not worked. So right. we're really kind of, we kind of really need to look at it from how do we maximize the potential of the people that we have at our organizations, right? So yeah. that they can be successful. What can we do to support them? Because if they're successful, then your organization is successful. So that only happens if you empower them. Yeah. And so every person there needs to be a part of the solution. And then you develop a comprehensive plan addressing some of those things I've mentioned, but also the personal piece, because each one of us makes up the culture at our companies. Yeah. So we need to know how to deal with our own biases, right? So we need to understand what that is, what that looks like. How do we, how do we make that commitment to ourselves to do the work, to learn about them? Because until we learn about right. them, we can't mitigate it. Right. So yeah. so we need to be empowered on how to do that, which is why when I started doing the litigation stuff and I started seeing a lot of these microaggressions happening in the workplace, oftentimes I was like, why aren't you offering more training about how these employees should be addressing this? I mean, a lot, a lot of organizations to this day. OK, this is the shocking part. Yeah. To this day are only offering the once a year sexual harassment training, but they're not offering what they need to do to address microaggressions, which is a majority of the stuff that's going on at companies is that yeah. microaggression type behavior. So, yeah. yeah, those are all excellent points. In fact, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of company culture because I believe that if you don't have company culture, you don't have a company because it's mm -hmm. your employees that fuel your brand, your business. And you have to invest in, in them. Uh, you also said that the upfront cost is usually more because the sustainability is probably cheaper depending on what scale. Uh, but I think a lot of companies don't understand that because like I said, they, I think they want to do the, the minimal to be able to sustain because most companies, I think, look at it from a cost perspective, right? And they don't understand. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, but look, I'll just tell one statistic yeah. with you. Um, the Society of Human Resource Managers had the study come out, right, SHRM, where they said in five years, companies spent $223 billion because of toxic work environments. Wow. 
That is insane. Billion. Hello. Yes. You should spend the money on the front end. And that's just the money that's spent, right? That doesn't include the psychological, yeah. the well-being, none of that stuff, you know, the reputation, the brand. I mean, so yeah. yes, it needs to be done proactively. And here's the thing though, is that this is the perfect time to do that yeah. because Right now, you can look at all of your systems for bias. You can say, we're going to start from every single system and make sure we're doing this right. And you can make sure that you have diversity at all levels of your organization. It takes effort. Right. But I'll tell you what, you, even if you do that and you have, if you have an environment that's toxic, these people are not going to stay. So again, it goes back to how are you going to address the issue? The best thing is to do is what you and I have been talking about is focus yeah. on culture. I feel like I'm a broken record, but I will keep saying the same thing yeah. over and over again until somebody, until people get <clears throat> it, you know, until people start to get it. Well, that's just it. Like, I feel like um, uh, I had a similar conversation, actually, is that someone told me, a friend of mine said it takes 21 days to build a good habit. Mm-hmm. And um, then another friend was like, well, it actually takes really a couple of months. It just depends on what studies you look at. But the reason I'm bringing this up is just that you're right. It's like, you know, you have to blast it like a megaphone. So companies understand it because look, if you spend, if companies spend, and I'm a huge fan of this because, you know, I've talked about like company retreats and things like that to deal with employees as we grow as an evolve and what we evolve as a business is because you have to invest in your employees, right? They have to feel, you know, comfortable in the work environment, you know, because if they don't, then they're not performing well, they don't feel comfortable, you know, they feel like, like aliens. And I think 223 billion is a ridiculous amount to, to basically spend money on things that are not working as opposed yeah. to like empowerment and positivity and, and motivation and, and workshops, you know, that create enticement, continued education, you know, mm-hmm. in the specific field, or, you know, like maybe uh, once a week you do like a company outing or something, if, if it's still a thing and you could do all of this virtually, right? I mean, right now in the zoom world that yeah. I mean, we're on zoom, you could do a lot of that, right? Totally. I mean, it doesn't have to be complicated. I think we're, I think mm-hmm. we make it so complicated that people are like, we don't know where to start. Cause somebody, I posted something the other day on LinkedIn and somebody said, I know it's just so overwhelming. There's, we don't need to start. I'm like, here's a simple thing that every single person that's listening to this can do. Okay. Is ask for feedback. Yeah. Ask for feedback. If you're a company and you don't know where to start with your culture, ask your people for feedback. What, makes you happy here what would you like to see change what are the things what are things that we can do as an organization to support you right and create an environment where people can share their experiences if they can start talking about who they are and their lived experiences they're going to want to work there they're going to feel like this is my family these are people i care about they're going to have your back right but you have to create that safety and it can happen even in the t- most toxic work environments, I've seen it take a turn and change, right? So it can happen, yeah. but it requires a commitment from the top. It requires the money and it's not a one-time thing. I don't care if I think I'm the best trainer on the planet. Yeah. I can't guarantee your culture is going to change. I mean, I, people might leave feeling the room really good <laughs> and empowered, but if, you, if they, you put them back in the same situation and you don't make it better, it's not going to change. It requires constant. And I, yep. I, you know, I don't even feel like a lawyer these days. I feel like a therapist, honestly. 
Well, <laughs> I, I mean, so one thing actually you said uh, before it leaves my brain is because uh, I can relate to this is you said giving your employees a voice. And I, I just, you know, I'm someone who 13 years alone, agency environment experience. I remember that I didn't have a voice. I felt like I did, but I didn't because uh, I was afraid to speak up and everybody else was. I mean, some of my other team members would be like, shit, what would happen if I speak up? Am I going to get fired? It's like, no, you shouldn't feel that way. And I think it, 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 and it, this, I don't think it was just a marketing space, but other industries, I'm thinking about healthcare and, and retail. Oh my God, the restaurant industry has been notorious for this too. It's like, what would happen if you speak up? Right. Like, are you going to get punished? You know, like, like, like a little kid that did something wrong or, you know, mm -hmm. ate candy when you weren't, you weren't supposed to or whatever. It's like, no, employees shouldn't feel that way. That's right. And actually, it's funny that you say that because I'm, I, I just accepted a position and joined mm -hmm. a, a venture studio called Nobody Studios uh, as a fractional chief culture officer. And nice. so I'm going to be working with them a couple of days a week and I'm working on their values, their company values. Yep. And one of them is it's, it's okay to not be okay. And then I, in the explanation, I'm going to say, and we, we really mean it. Like, you know, people shouldn't say it's okay <laughs> or I'm not okay. And then we're like, okay, yeah, right. And then everyone's sitting there feeling like, oh no, when are you going to find the next employee? Right. No, right. we really want to make an environment where, Hey, right. you know what? Something's happening. Life happens. You can't keep up or you're feeling like you need to ditch take some time to do whatever, do it, take care of yourself, just let your team know so that they can figure out what they need to do while you're taking care of yourself. Because if you yeah. don't take care of yourself and we can't, so I'm, I'm having so much fun just drafting our core values. Cause I'm like, wait, yeah. I get to do this. I get to actually tell people and create and help to create a, a place where they actually want to work. Yes. Let's do it. Yeah. Those are so important. Honestly, the core values is, you know, they're the pillars of, of how a brand, a business operates. And yeah. I think now more than ever, it's essential. I mean, you were, you were speaking, you know, we're talking about taking care of your employees and, you know, asking them for feedback and speaking up and having more civility right around that. Uh, I mean, prime example, uh, recently, one of my employees was just having a really bad day. You know, it was a family related thing. And uh, she's like, you know what? I, I'm just not there. My head's not there at all today. I'm so hyper-focused on, on this that like, I just, I can't do shit. You know, yeah. I can't focus. And, and she's like, do you mind if I take the afternoon off? And I said, that's cool. You know, yeah. just, you know, if you need time to reflect, because I'm thinking in my mind, it's like, she's no good to me if right. she's thinking elsewhere totally. and giving her some time to reflect and recoup helps her recollect her thoughts and actually rejuvenate, right? Is re-energized. So, because I need her to be operating at, at 100% capacity if she can, if she can, then how do we mitigate that? And, you know, that was the day that she said, she's like, oh my God, you have to be the coolest boss ever. You know, that like you would do something like that. I'm like, shit, like, I don't think I've heard this and like ever we need to be like that we need to encourage yeah. that sort of you you know and this is because we've been told to do it opposite but yeah. you need to create those kind of environments where human beings and it's not even just about what we need them as in like you know if i'm a, if i'm the company and what i need that person to do but it really is like we want to be there for each other because that can happen to us tomorrow right like yeah. that can happen to me like i'll never forget yeah. this one case i mean i mean it haunts me sometimes i think about it in my sleep Oh, wow. <laughs> I worked for a company for 10 years. Yeah. He was a loyal employee, worked, you know, and he had a, he had 
twins that died wow. in a car accident. That died in a car accident. And the company didn't even mention it, didn't even send flowers, did nothing to acknowledge wow. this loss. And I, I remember just when I was, you know, heard about that, I was like, wow. Yeah. That it just be, blows me away that yeah. you expect people to come and they're giving you more time than they spend with their own families often. And you don't even respect that. You know, I think we need to completely shift that dynamic and that mindset and make it all about if, you know, if you need to take a couple of days off work because you're just needing some time, go ahead, yeah. we'll, we'll figure it out. We need to go to that level because when you do that, Who's going to want to come back to work as soon as possible? Because they're going to yeah. like the people they work with. Yeah. They're going to understand it, you know? And so we really need to take better care of each other. It's just, it's just awful what goes on in these workplaces, honestly. It's, it's I, I agree. That, oh, my God. The fact that, that yes. that's terrible, you know, that, that there's like no, no, no recognition, no, no sympathy, because... You know what I we're talking a lot about, you know, the workplace here and the civility around that and how, you know, employees, because here's the thing. Another thing is if you're treated better as an employee, you're more likely to to perform better because you feel empowered, you feel mm -hmm. recognized. Um, and I know a lot of people, um, you know, on a human level, which is a big part you know, of my business, too, is just that on a human level is just that. You really need to connect with your employees and really treat them like human beings, you know, and the, that the nice gesture, you know, uh, can go a long way, whether it's like flowers, you know, it's like, yeah. sorry to hear about your loss, you know, if you need some time away. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So um, I'm glad to hear that, you know, these are these are all like, I think a lot of companies don't recognize, you know, how imperative all of these issues are when it comes to um, how they treat their employees, their company culture, also, you know, how they empower their employees, also, how, how do they reward them? Also, mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of companies don't really have any kind of reward programs, no, no incentives, really, you know, so it just almost comes down to, I mean, this may be just me, but like, why would I want to work for a company? If like, there's no reason to, is it just because they're a cool company or everybody thinks that you, you should work for them because they're cool? It's like, what's their company culture? Because I look at companies like, you know, Google and Apple. Google's probably one of the biggest ones since day one that has really spent probably billions of dollars on company culture. And I'm thinking like the Googleplex where, you know, you can bring your kids to work. There's daycare. You know, there's chefs that, that cater food. They've got like these, um, these resting areas where you can just like go and chill over there if you want to, but they've really understood that if you tap into human culture and really connect with people, it, they're far more likely to perform better and yeah. feel like they, they belong as part of a brand. Absolutely. I mean, it just, it, again, I always bring it back down to the basic level. And I think I do this because mm -hmm. I have an eight-year-old and so I'm always doing that with him. So I, yeah. I was listening to one of my podcasts the other day. I'm like, do you always bring it, you know, you always take this stuff. And I'm like, I'm just yeah. used to doing that at home. But, but just, if you think about, you know, it's the saddest thing to me when I go do a training and now I'm doing it virtually. So it's different, but before COVID yeah. where I would go and I would see two people who have been sitting next to each other for several years. Right. And they don't know the basic information about each other. Like if they have uh, kids or where they live. And I just feel like 
wow. And you might as well put two random strangers next to each other and you expect them yeah. to be a team, to work work together, to have each other's backs, to stand up and say, hey, I'm willing yeah. to come in on the weekend and work with you because I like you as a human being and I want to be around you. Right. You're not going to get any of that. You're going to get those people that are going to say, I'm going to show oh. up to work and collect my paycheck and be out the door. And then they're going to talk about your company culture online, on their LinkedIn profile, on Twitter and Instagram, yep. and it's going to go viral. Yeah. And so yeah. it's, it, there's no way around it. Now people are going to the internet. It's just like, I mean, you heard about the whole thing that happened at base camp, you know, like a third of their employees walked out the door after this incident that they had. Yeah. And so the it's project like management software base camp. They were from the, the Chicago company. Yeah. Really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You got to read on that. There, there's, I just actually, I'll send you a link. I just did a podcast on it and I released it. Okay. But I talk about what they did wrong and what, <laughs> and, and what we can learn from that situation. So I did, yeah. I did a whole episode on that. I'll send it to you. And yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, absolutely. I've been a, an avid Basecamp user for years. Um, and I, I think, but that's, that's a great example because, you know, it goes to show that it doesn't matter how small, even how big of a brand you are, it's mm -hmm. just that now more than ever, there's a strong emphasis around company culture and that company culture will, will attribute largely to a lot of things, including retention, you know? Um, I, I mean, prime example, my kids daycare, daycares have terrible retention. I feel like they have turnovers every year. And when I look at kind of the company culture, it's like, well, there really isn't one, you know, and um, what's really actually ironic about that is that uh, well, with my kids daycares three or four years ago, I was talking to their former owner about this and kind of brought up because, you know, social was cross pollinating. I had to explain to them that, look, you know, you're going to get get your staff to participate and get involved. You know, don't be afraid about them expressing, expressing themselves and talking about it because it, it's good PR for you for the most part. But they were very hesitant. A lot of that's like, no, we don't even allow smartphones and this and that. I'm like, what? And so I just found out actually, I guess it was a month ago that the daycare had actually been bought out, but nobody knew about it mm. until like the, the like the day they said okay we have a new owner and everybody <laughs> was like uh they had like four people that had been there for a while that literally left that day you know we're like okay well our company culture <laughs> wasn't really much of a culture when you were here mm. and now we've got new management it's like you know it's that's kind of like stranger danger as kids would say like this yeah, this yeah. is weird it's strange it's probably not going to work out but i mean these are real issues and 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 the fact that 223 billion dollars are spent five years what's that in just five years in five years in five yeah, years. yeah, yeah. Ab absolutely i would say y'all i know we can continue chatting because you know there's so much about uh you know everything that's um, you know, we talked about ethics and, 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 you know, the, the culture, the environment as well. But uh, before we sign off on this episode, you know, can you throw out some social handles and websites and, you know, how can people connect with you if they want to learn more about uh, what you offer? Yeah. So the only social media platform that I'm really on is LinkedIn. I just okay. clubhouse. So, but I would say go to LinkedIn and then my company website is www.trainextra. There's no E in the extra. So T-R-A-I-N 
xtra.com. And please, please, please watch my TEDx talk. It's if you go to my LinkedIn profile, it's on there and on YouTube. Uh, it's called The Pain, uh, The Paradox and the Power. Or actually, they put it the other way. They, they put it The Pain, The Power and Paradox of Bias. And so mm -hmm. if you just type that in or you could just put my name in there, Sage Old Thacker, and look for it. But yes, watch the okay. TEDx talk share it. It will help improve your relationships and your life. Absolutely. So, Joe, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I truly enjoyed this episode. Yeah.